This is Liam Hendricks, and you're watching Crosstown Crosstalk on the Barroom Network. Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Every summer in Chicago, the sunshine spotlights the city's spectacular skyline, its luxurious lakeshore, marvelous monuments, and the over 200 neighborhoods in the city. And it also brings to light two of the greatest sports franchises in the world. On the north side, it's the Cubs. On the south side, it's the White Sox. This is Crosstown Crosstalk. Hello, and welcome to another very exciting episode of Crosstown Crosstalk, presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi, and I am extremely, extremely excited to be here with each and every one of you. Before the show even started, we had Travis in the chat go, let's go! Can't wait to hear your list of top five White Sox after the list of top five Cubs last week. We will get to that in just one minute. One thing I wanted to say. Before we get going, this isn't going to be the longest episode of Crosstown Crosstalk ever just because spring training's going on and this person's working on their knuckle curve while giving up bombs to this person. It's spring training. I mean, it's hard to evaluate. I, I've tried my best over the last six or seven years to like truly understand spring training and like how is it going to help me evaluate what's going on in the league? It's impossible. Right. The only time I've ever seen an elite team be elite in spring training, I remember the 2018 Boston Red Sox like rolled through spring training. They were like 21 and five. And then they ended the season with like 109 wins. They won the World Series with relative ease. Spring training's a crapshoot. So it's not like I'm going to be sitting here going over results of what went on in the game between the White Sox and the Guardians. The White Sox scored six runs and the Guardians scored nine. Neither team had great pitchers on the mound. Both of them had some of their good hitters in the lineup. I mean, that is what it is. One, But one thing before we move truly into you know baseball, there's a little bit of football we're going to talk today is yesterday on the Barroom Network, Frank Mueller and I celebrated our 100th episode of Bar Down Talking Hockey. And to be honest with you, outside of interviewing John Bucci-Grass, which is my favorite moment in my career here at the Barroom Network, it was my favorite thing we've done on this program. And that includes interviewing Liam Hendricks. And that includes... You know, David Kaplan and Carmen DeFalco and Mike North, who I love so much. Um, I really, really, really enjoyed what we did yesterday. We had guests come in from all different walks of like the reason we're here. Family popped in and said hello. Um, We had a couple popular guests come in like from all my shows, come in and say a couple words, share some Blackhawks or favorite hockey stories, uh, some fans came in and, you know, said hello. So it was truly from the bottom of my heart, one of my most favorite moments. And I know Frank and I aren't going to get back to talking hockey until next Wednesday. So it feels like a lot's going to go down in between now and then. And that's why I'm encouraging each and every one of you to follow me on Twitter at Vinny Parisi. 
Um, Patrick Kane is playing his first game with the New York Rangers tonight. Frankie and I aren't going to be able to break that down till next Wednesday. He'll have played three or four games with the Rangers by then. Um, you know, Timo Meyer, he'll probably make his devil's debut tomorrow night against the Vegas Golden Knights. You know, there's lots of great hockey coming on the Bruins. They made a crazy, crazy trade this morning to get Tyler Bertuzzi from the Detroit Red Wings. They're loading up. And, you know, sometimes that feels like old news. So I wanted to, you know, when we get to Wednesday, so I did want to touch on it a little bit here because I know everyone watching is probably mostly here for baseball chatter, but that's just such a big hockey story that I couldn't deny, like, thinking about what is necessary to talk about here. And that's a necessary hockey story to bring up. I mean, the Bruins, man, they got that top six, and they're going to plug Bertuzzi and Taylor Hall spot until Taylor Hall's healthy. And then once that happens – that team is just an absolute wagon, and I'm excited to see what they're able to do in the postseason. Even if they go up against my favorite team, the New Jersey Devils, I think that's something that you know is scary to think about. There's no doubt, but you know I'm excited for what's going to come in the rest of this hockey season, and I can't encourage you all enough to tune in next Wednesday to Bar Down Talking Hockey. Um, we'll we'll break it down even further than I just did in my short little soliloquy right there. But, man, I'm excited to just be a sports fan right now. Skyler says, I have no credence in this theory, but I have a better feeling about any of my teams when their preseason record isn't great. That is interesting. I'm trying to think that year the Bears, the Bears went, and won the division in 2018, wasn't their preseason record like 1-3 that year? And weren't they 0-3? I don't know if they played 4-85. and 85. If they did, they, they, they had a bad record in 85's preseason too. Um, I'm trying to think the White Sox in 05 or the Cubs in 16. There was a lot of hype. You know, those teams were excited about themselves, but they weren't like storming through spring training going, yeah, we have a World Series team right here. Um, I'm trying to think of hockey. The Devils were very good in preseason this year. <laughs> Jack Hughes scored in every single game but one, and they played like eight games. I mean, the Devils were very, very good in uh, preseason this year. But I do still – I still kind of align with Skyler outside of this one little outlier Devils preseason. It, to me, it's about – it's not necessarily about the results on the scoreboard. If you go into spring training, right, right and you're the Cubs – and Dansby Swanson goes 0 for 20 with 10 strikeouts and two double plays grounded in two and no walks. I'm thinking to myself, wow, he's struggling. But the Cubs could be undefeated in those games. But it doesn't matter because it's spring training. The Cubs aren't going to be undefeated if Dansby Swanson's that bad. Um, that's that's kind of how I look at it. It's all about what is going on with individual players in spring training. You look at the White Sox game yesterday. I, I brought it up already. They lost to the Guardians 9-6. to six. But if they scored six runs with that offense in a regular season game, they probably win. Every single pitcher, except for Davis Martin, who started and went two innings, every single pitcher is probably playing in double A or lower. So, or gets cut. So they gave up nine runs because those are the types of pitchers they have in. So you like what you saw from the offense against Cleveland pitching, but then again, what are those Cleveland pitchers? Who are they? Where are they going to end up this year? That's why I'm like, you can't take stock in preseason records. You have to look at how individuals are playing. You have to like what you're seeing from Jake Berger right now. You have to like what you're seeing from whoever. 
And, you know, Brennan Davis is off to a really good start for the Cubs in spring training. Does that help him make the team finally? Like, there are just so many individualistic things that you have to watch out for when you're evaluating spring training that it makes it different than the regular season. So um, I'm looking at Travis's list here of most important White Sox players. Um, I... My list is a little bit different than his, but I I think we Travis and I both agree though because his list is more reminiscent. Like, I think he agrees with me based on his list. This is the list of the most important players, not the list of who you think are the best players. And Travis, it's a really nice list. Ours ours are a little bit different. I kind of came up with some different ideas here, but I I respect your list and I agree that all five of those players are very very important to the Chicago White Sox. So I am going to get to that here right now, the top five most important players in the Chicago White Sox major league roster right now. But before I get to that, I'm going to give a little refresher to the Cub fans wanting to see who the top five most important that I had last week, in case you missed it. Here you are. The best players on the Cubs, which this list might, kind of represent the best players on the Cubs, but this is the most important players. Who will help the Cubs be good this year, next year, in the future, in some way, shape, or form? Maybe they'll get traded for a lot of a big haul, so that can improve the team's future going forward. There are lots of different explanations for each of these people and why they're on the list, and I want to know in the chat or on Twitter at Vinny Parisi, whether or not you agree with me. Coming in at number five is Ian Happ. Ian Happ was the Chicago Cubs all-star last year. He was supposed to be traded at the date trade deadline alongside Wilson Contreras, and they let those two give each other hugs and whatnot and, you know, cry in the dugout, have a little champagne, glass of wine in the dugout. Hey, it's been good being a Cub all this time. And then the trade deadline comes and go, and they have to go play at Wrigley Field again for the rest of the season after having this little, you know, tummy sticks fest all summer long. Well, Ian Happ is back. Obviously, Wilson Contreras, his contract was up. Ian Happ had the extra year. And Contreras is in St. Louis, but Ian Happ is still with the Chicago Cubs. I do believe he will put on a fantastic season. The reason I have him as one of the most important Cubs in 2023, there's two reasons. One, if the Cubs do surprise a bunch of people and make it look like they're a team that can be on top of the American League Central Division, they could, they will need Ian Happ to be that type of player that he was last year. And, you know, if they're not, they'll trade him for assets, which will help them in the future, because I think they would get fairly good stuff for Ian Happ, especially from a contending team that needs an outfielder. If that's the case, he's important to the Cubs because he helps them in their future in that way. So at number five, I have Ian Happ. At number four is Seiya Suzuki. Suzuki started off last season. He was one of the best players in baseball. And, you know, uh, injuries derailed him a little bit, but he proved that he can be a very, very good player here in North America after coming over from Japan last year. It was a little bit of adjustment throughout the whole season, but he did get through it all, and he's a very good player, and I do believe if the Cubs are a good team this year, Saya will have a lot to do with it. At number three is Marcus Stroman. Marcus Stroman, as of today, I'm going to go write a post about this on DeWittyCindyGock.com as soon as I'm done with this show about how the Cubs announced that Stroman is going to start their very first preseason game this Saturday. And, yeah, for those of you who don't know, 
pre or spring training. I think I call it preseason. Spring training starts on Saturday for actual exhibition games. Spring training started last week, and we've been going over that for a little bit now. But the actual exhibition games themselves start on Saturday. The Cubs announced that Stroman is going to be their starting pitcher in that game, and I think he will probably end up being the ace of their staff throughout this entire season. So Marcus Stroman, I do believe – is the third most important player on the Cubs because he could set the tone for the entire pitching staff. At number two, Nico Horner. Nico Horner, to me, was an elite player last year. He should have probably been an all-star. He was one of the best Cubs on the whole team, but he was playing shortstop. And what makes him a very important player to me this year is the fact that he is moving to second base. And that is going to be huge for the Cubs because it will impact the depth on their entire infield. And I'm sure that's something that will help the Cubs become a better team if he does, in fact, play second base as well as he played shortstop. And one thing I wanted to mention, and I feel this way about Andrews playing second base for the White Sox, too, a career shortstop. Both the White Sox and the Cubs have a career shortstop playing second base for them in 2023. The shift is gone. So it's going to be a lot less hanging out in right field and relying on your shortstop to make big plays with their range. The second baseman having more range is more important now than it's ever been because they're going to have to move to their left and right a little more because of the fact that there's no shift. And I think moving Nico Horner over from second or from shortstop to second base is something that will help the Cubs in that area. If there was someone on the team that could make a transition like that, it would be him and his bat was en fuego last year. I thought he was a brilliant hitter and the Cubs, they got a really good player there in that 2018 draft first round. And Nico Horner comes in at number two on my list. At number one is Dansby Swanson. Dansby Swanson is their big, big, big free agent signing from this offseason. And they paid him one of the richest contracts that any player got. Shortstops as a whole collected over a billion dollars, I believe, between Swanson, Trey Turner to the Phillies, um, Carlos Correa back to the Twins. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the other one, though. There was another huge sorts to oh Xander Bogarts to the San Diego Padres. You know, these guys, it's a huge position. The Cubs, they believe in Dansby. And Dansby had a breakout season offensively last year, but he was a World Series champion the year before with the Atlanta Braves. So I think a guy like Dansby Swanson can really make an impact on this team if he continues to hit the way he did. Listen, he picked the perfect year to have like a truly breakout offensive season. It was a contract year. And guys always perform extra well when they know that a lot of dough is on the line. Well, Dansby Swanson took advantage. But one thing he always was, even before the breakout offensive season, was an elite defensive shortstop. I do believe Swanson and Horner will make magic on the middle infield for the Cubs this season. And those are my two most important players, or five most important players for the Chicago Whites or the Chicago Cubs this season. My biggest takeaway from that video is I haven't shaved since then. And the last time I shaved before that was like a day before. And I already had five o'clock shadow in that video. I don't know if I know someone who can look more different a week from now than me. I mean, that that like blew my mind a little bit. And I, I'm a frequent person. I very rarely ever have a beard. But man, the difference between last week and this week. Unbelievable. That's what I was thinking about the whole time. I ignored everything I said about the Cubs. So now we're going to get into the White Sox. And um, Travis brings up that I wanted to bring up Moncada as a make or break year as he needs to show up. 
Moncada does need to show up, but I can't consider him an important player after what I saw last year. You know, is him having a better year important to the team? Yes, but I, I couldn't I couldn't put him in the top five. I thought about it because, like, you can argue he's important because if he does bounce back, they will be, you know, that team again. But I'm almost like I, I think they have to try and become that team without him bouncing back. So we'll see what happens with Yoan. At number five, we have <clears> – <throat> One of the newest players for the Chicago White Sox, and that is Andrew Benintendi, Benny Buttcheeks, Benny Biceps, World Series champion with the Boston Red Sox, the highest paid player in the history of the franchise. He went to Arkansas. He went one pick before the White Sox wanted to draft him, and they ended up getting stuck. Was it Carson Fulmer they got stuck with or something lame like that? And... They ended up with him, or maybe it was Zach Collins. I don't remember exactly which draft it was, but Benintendi, I remember he lit the world up when he was an Arkansas Razorback, and now he comes to the White Sox after a tenure with the Boston Red Sox, Kansas City Royals, and New York Yankees. He has made deep playoff run in his life. He is somebody who is going to bring that type of experience to the team, and I think a lot of people are going to benefit from having him on this team. He will secure left field. We will no longer have to see – um, Eloy play left field because he's terrible at it and we'll get to him in a minute hint hint I think having Andrew Benintendi stabilize the outfield is something that is very important and he'll bring a steady bat I think he'll probably bat second in the lineup once the regular season games start and that's super important because he doesn't hit for a lot of power although now he's finally at a stadium where that type of power that he brings can be taken advantage of and I think he's going to hit a lot of home runs at Guaranteed Rayfield. It's a hitter's park. And, you know, this AL Central is not very hitter friendly when it comes to the road places. Like Detroit is impossible to hit a home run. He played for Kansas City. He knows how you, you kind of need to muscle one out of there, too. Um, guaranteed Rayfield's the opposite, though. He's going to have a plenty of opportunities to be a prolific hitter at home. And I, I, listen, I don't need him to hit 25 bombs, though. Give me 10 bombs but give me an OPS over 800 or, you know, a batting average is a terrible stat, but give me a good slugging percentage and OPS. Well, OPS is slugging percentage plus on base. Um, you combine those two and you got a good player and he's going to have a good glove in left field. I expect it to improve the team as a whole and him having a good year is paramount to this White Sox team having a good year. At number four, I put Dylan Cease. If this were a list of the best players on the Chicago White Sox, Dylan Cease would be number one. He is the most talented player at his position on the team. But I put him at four because he goes once every five days. And I do think having an ace is super important. It's top five most important. He's the ace of the staff. I can't, I can't put him higher, though, because of the fact, like I said, he goes once every five days. The three guys ahead of him are supposed to make an impact every single day, and that's that. But Dylan Cease, man, second in Cy Young voting last year, just truly one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball. And he's a guy who he he throws the ball so hard. His velocity is off the hook. But his command 
still needs a little bit of work. Even though he finished second in Cy Young last year, the walks were still up a little bit. I think if he brings those down, the ARA comes down just a little bit more. And we could be talking about his first career actual Cy Young instead of being the runner-up. So Dylan Cease, you, in my opinion, are the fourth best, fourth most important player on the White Sox, my man. At number three is Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson, one of the best shortstops in Major League Baseball offensively, had a rough year defensively to start last year. Then he was hurt. This year, if his defensive numbers get back to what they were in 2021, not elite, not winning a gold glove or anything like that, but be slightly above average, Tim, because you're a way above average hitter and you're one of the best leadoff hitters in Major League Baseball. I think that is something that can help elevate you and make you lots of money. Maybe you will be the first player in Chicago White Sox history to make $100 million. And you bring attitude to the team, you command respect, and he's definitely an important player for this team as they move into what they are hoping is a bounce-back season. I'm not sure how it would have ended last year if he played beyond August, but you know he had that hand surgery and he seems to be fully back, ready to go this year. We'll see what he's able to do. At number two is Luis Robert Jr. He's no longer Luis Robert. He's Luis Robert Jr. now. I don't know if the reason he did that was because Ronald Acuna Jr. and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Fernando Tatis Jr. All the juniors are dominating this sport right now. And Luis Robert, he's the guy who he has the MVP caliber talent, right? I think if I were making a list of the five best players where I said I would put um, – if I said I would put Dylan Cease one, I, I would probably put Luis Robert Jr. two on this list. So, or I, I yeah, I would put him up two on that list too. So, I, I think he's an amazing center fielder, right? It's an important premier position in Major League Baseball. You think of like pitchers, catchers, shortstops, center fielders, and Luis Robert. He plays that position very well. He already has a Gold Glove there. His biggest problem is health. He's only played in like 150 games over the last two years combined. That is not enough. They need more Luis Robert. He needs, when he's feeling a little pain in his hand, he needs to be out of the lineup. Tony LaRusso is not there anymore, thank goodness. But he's swinging with one hand last year. It's like, what do we have him in there for right now? Is this a joke? And Luis Robert is one of the guys who can, he's got MVP caliber talent and he plays every day. And I think him having a good year is the second most important on this White Sox team. And I would put him number two behind Cease on a list of best players at their position. That would be Luis Robert if it were me. Number one on this list, I would probably put him third on that list I was saying of best at their position is Eloy Jimenez. Eloy Jimenez, he's probably going to be the designated hitter this year. There's no reason to put him in right field. You have Oscar Colas for that. Gavin Sheets could do it. Um, Eloy needs to DH. He stinks at field, but he's elite at hitting. I believe Jimenez is the best hitter on either Chicago team. And I believe he's the best hitter in the American League Central Division. And I think he can hit 35 bombs. I think he could hit 40. If the balls are juiced, he could hit 50. And... Eloy is one of those guys who if steroids were still prevalent, he'd be like the best player in the league, but they're not. So he can't do that. And he, he's just an unbelievable power hitter. I can't believe sometimes what I see him do with his bat. And like Robert, 
arguably even more than Robert, because Robert at least has played a little bit more, needs to be healthy. Okay, and that doesn't happen when he's injured and running into walls and karate chopping the outfield. That that can't be how it is. Jimenez needs to go up, hit, run to first. If you hit a home run, run around the bases slowly, get back to the dugout, have a sandwich. There's no reason for him to be worrying about playing the outfield. He's the best hitter on the team by far, and that's including Robert. I think Jimenez is the best hitter on the team. And if he has a big year, the White Sox will have a big year. I do believe that. A guy like that in the middle of your lineup at full health and full strength and feeling good about themselves, that could win you games right there, especially with Tim Anderson. I, I would bat Jimenez third. If you have Tim Anderson and Ben Intendi ahead of him, two guys that made this list for me, I think those are the types of lineups that win divisions and make runs in the playoffs and Jimenez can make all the difference in the world. So to recap, at number five, Andrew Benintendi. At number four, Dylan Cease. At number three, Tim Anderson. At number two, Luis Robert. And at number one, Eloy Jimenez. That is a good-looking group of players right there. I'm not confident on what the White Sox are going to be able to do this year as a whole, but if that group of five right there plays to their potential, and you get bounce back years from Grandal and Moncada, and then the pitching staff led by Dylan Cease, you get a good year from Giolito, who until last year, top 11 in Cy Young, three straight years. Then last year he stunk. Lance Lynn, always consistent, always awesome, always kind of mean, love that guy. Michael Kopech has the talent to be the best pitcher on the team, but I, I don't know if he's a year or two away from like truly maximizing because of how he got into the league with the Tommy John and all that. Um, and then Mike Clevenger, eh, I don't really like talking about that asshole, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, I feel like I'm missing a White Sox pitcher. Am I missing a White Sox pitcher? Cease, Lynn, Giolito, Kopech, Clevenger. No, that's five. And then outside of that, depending on what happens with Clevenger, we probably will see Davis Martin and Reynaldo Lopez. We'll see if Garrett Crochet ever becomes a starter. The White Sox are an interesting team and I can't wait for them to get started. Uh, so far, there's good and bad coming from spring training. The bad is mostly off the field stuff, uh, Clevenger. Uh, but um, I like this team. I don't love this team yet, but I like them. And the thing that makes me the most mad, people forget, the 2022 White Sox were the third best White Sox team since winning the World Series in 05. Or they were the fourth best White Sox team since winning the World Series in 05. The only White Sox teams that were better were... 06, uh, maybe they're the fifth best, 06, 08, 20, and 21. I would, oh, and 2012. I would rather the 2012 team than the 2021 team without question, or than the 2022 team. Uh, the 2021 team is my second favorite White Sox team ever. Um, I had so much fun. But, yeah, they're the sixth best team. So they're not, they weren't like terrible in terms of White Sox history, which is disgusting. But Travis says, I hope Cease is the opening day pitcher. I'd love to see him in Houston. Yes, Travis, I do believe I knew that you were going to be in Houston for the White Sox Astros opening day game. It, Cease will absolutely be the starter. If he's not the opening day starter for the White Sox in Houston on March 31st, he's injured. They're not putting Lynn. They're not putting Giolito. Uh, Pedro Grafal kind of hinted at Kopech being the home opener starter, which means 
that that's the fifth game of the season because they have a four-gamer in Houston to begin the year, that would mean in my head that they're doing Cease, Giolito, Lynn, Clevenger in Houston, and then Kopech comes home and pitches the game one guaranteed rate field game. So you will be seeing Cease, and uh, again, unless he's injured. If, if you don't see him on opening day, Travis, we have a big, big problem on our hands in Chicago White Sox land. So back to the Cubs a little bit. One bit of news I wanted to touch on. Seiya Suzuki has dropped out of the World Baseball Classic for Team Japan. Um, his ability to recruit Shohei Otani is done because he's got an oblique injury. And oblique injuries are very tricky, especially when you are a hitter swinging your oblique every single time. Um, six to eight week recovery is the estimation, in my opinion. I'm not a doctor, even though I do play one on a podcast sometimes. The only reason I think that the Cubs didn't announce a timetable. They just said we'll evaluate in a couple weeks. Tyler Glasnow went down with the same exact thing the same exact day. And the Rays said six to eight weeks for him. So I'm assuming I, everybody's body's different. Two different body types. Tyler Glasnow's tall and thin. And Suzuki's tall, but he's you know a more muscular person, I would say. Uh, obviously, everything's different. Suzuki did lose a little weight to try and you know, be healthy all year. It was a big offseason issue for him because he only played in 111 games last year. But if he's good by week three of the season, I think the Cubs will be okay with that. Uh, it sucks we're not going to get to see him play with that awesome Japan team here in a couple days. But, you know, it is what it is. The Cubs playing for the Cubs is more important to him, clearly, which is what Cubs fans want to hear. Speaking of the World Baseball Classic, you guys want to hear the pools? I got the pools. Beginning on March 8th, through 12th, actually, it begins on March 11th, the World Baseball Classic. In Pool A is Chinese Taipei, Netherlands, Cuba, Italy, and Panama. I would assume Cuba's the best team in that pool. Just saying. Pool B, Japan, Korea, Australia, China, Czech Republic. I would assume Japan's the best team in that pool. Pool C, United States, Mexico, Colombia, Canada, Great Britain. I would assume the United States of America is the best in pool C. Pool D, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, Dominican Republic, Israel, and Nicaragua. That is the group of death. Only two out of Puerto Rico, Venezuela, Dominican Republic are going to make it out of that. Uh, oh, have you seen Venezuela's lineup? Oh, my God. What a group. What a group. I mean, we're talking Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico are just as good. I mean, there are some good teams playing in the World Baseball Classic this year, and I am super duper excited to be watching, you know, along with everybody else. They're on FS1. Is that what I'm seeing? FS1? Uh, yeah. What's 2-by? 2-B. T-U-B-I. I don't know what that channel is, but there's a lot on Fox. So I guess that's good news for baseball fans. It'll be pretty readily available as long as you have like the most basic form of cable. Um, that's obviously important to everyone. But uh, I'm so excited to watch the World Baseball Classic. It is going to be super fun. Um 
March 7th is when it starts. Do I have the dates wrong? I thought it said March 11th through 15th, but actually, yeah, March 7th is when we're going to start seeing some games. So good for them, I guess. That's outstanding. I literally can't wait for this thing. Um, I'm sure most of the people watching this will be cheering on Team USA, but for me, it's Team USA plus the players that play for the White Sox. And, you know, three White Sox players are on Team USA, Tim Anderson, Lance Lynn, and Kendall Graveman. But, you know, Jan Moncada and Luis Robert want to lead Cuba to a World Baseball Classic Championship. All power to you guys. Come back to uh, opening day feeling good about yourselves. That's all we want. Um, so the World Baseball Classic, I believe we will be recapping some games and getting ready for it big time next week on Crosstown Crosstalk. I'll probably be the focus of the show. I'm going to try and find a World Baseball Classic guru to come on and be the guest and talk about what the White Sox can do in this tournament and how those guys can maybe come to camp feeling a little bit better. Maybe we'll bring in our friend Cuba Dugout. That's actually an idea that popped in my head. Phil Sealy. We'll see if he's available to talk about Team Cuba and how he thinks they're going to do. That should be a whole lot of fun. Um, I'm actually going to reach out to him pretty soon. So if you like World Baseball Classic and you're interested in watching this great baseball tournament ahead of watching the Cubs, the White Sox, the Yankees, whoever it is you root for this year, make sure you tune in next Wednesday at 2 p.m. Uh, one player, one thing I wanted to talk about before we get out of here, everyone knows I like to talk a little bit of football. There's some stinky football news going on right now, stuff that none of us, none of us want to hear. And the Chicago Bears have the first overall pick. They might trade down to four, but if they trade down to four and two of the top four are quarterbacks, they're still getting one of the two that are supposed to be like the big boys in the draft, Will Anderson and Jalen Carter. Well, do I have some bad news for you if you want Jalen Carter to be the guy the um Chicago Bears end up with he is in big trouble he did return to the scouting combine after his arrest but he has been arrested after being involved in a car accident that killed a teammate and that's not something you want to hear I'm sure he's you know, I don't know the report I'm reading right now. I just saw that on ESPN. Jalen Carter returns to NFL scouting combine after arrest. That's taking place in Indianapolis. And you could read a description of what happened in his case on the bottom line here. But would you want the Chicago Bears to draft that guy? Knowing that something crazy could come out of this in like a year from now or two. And then you 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 were handed this glorious opportunity to pick first and then if you trade down to four you have many other picks but that fourth pick you're still getting a guy you would have taken at one are you would you really consider wasting that pick that option on a guy who's been arrested i don't know i'm not ryan poles i'm assuming he'll have more information on what's going on by the time draft day rolls around i do think there are a lot of people who are gonna smack down their hammer and form an opinion right now even though we don't know what we're going to know on the day of draft day, you know, maybe he's in big trouble and there's absolutely no chance they draft him. Or maybe something comes out of it where, you know, he's fine. He, he's not convicted and he plays in the NFL for a long time, but then there are some moral issues. Do you want this guy anyway? Even if he gets off, do you want him on your team? Is he going to hurt the team? Is he going to do something crazy again in his life? There are all sorts of different ways that you can look at this. 
And if you want an expanded conversation on this from some people who are 10 times smarter than me, you're going to want to tune in tonight to the Mac and Reed show here on the Barroom Network. And, you know, they're going to dive deep into this Jalen Carter business and re- relate it to the Chicago Bears and all sorts of good stuff from them. So I don't have an opinion on it right now. I don't think I know enough about it. Other than, I mean, I knew he was arrested five seconds after it happened. It was a huge notification on my phone. But I'm right here with Skylar. Today, my take would be you can't risk it if it were the draft or today, depending on the details. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm at. And, you know, I people believe in second chances. I think there are certain things that deserve second chances, obviously most things, but there are some things that don't. And somebody died as a result of his actions. So I do think that will be taken into consideration as well. Um, we'll see what happens. I've wanted Will Anderson for football reasons anyway, for all this time, you know, like I, I always rep the, both the guys are from the sec, but you know, LSU. Yeah. LSU. Um, Travis said, I've never been big on the Carter train. I want Tyree Wilson or Thule from, uh, USC paired with a veteran lineman. Yeah, that's fair. Listen, I've never gone into a bears draft thinking the possibilities were more endless than I feel about this upcoming one. So make sure you tune in tonight, Mac and Reed here on the Barroom Network. You will hear all sorts of good stuff. I believe Southbridge Hitman is starting on the 13th. I don't know if that's a fact, but I think we have a pretty cool guest if we do start on the 13th. I think that's why we would be starting on the 13th. Um, it's obviously a Monday. It'll be Monday nights. But the White Sox start on the 31st, so it would be a two-week in advance thing. I don't know. You're going to want to follow me on Twitter at Vinny Parisi to find out, though, because we are going to um, keep we're going to keep pumping out content. We're going to announce what we're doing with South Bribs Hitman if it is going to be the 13th. Obviously, the trade deadline is coming up. Someone was probably traded in the NHL while I've been doing this show, actually. Oh, yeah, literally. Jonathan Quick was traded to the freaking Vegas Golden Knights. He was sent to Columbus from the Kings. Then he said, nah, I don't want to play for Columbus. Now he's going to Vegas in a truly wild turn of events. Um, But yeah, all sorts of things like that are going to be um, covered by me. Follow me on Twitter at Vinny Parisi. You want to follow the Barroom Network at Barroom Network. Travis says, yay, can't wait. If so, Travis, without giving too much away, your favorite in-game MC could be the guest on the 13th. If the 13th is the first episode, um, that's very exciting, and I'm super stoked about it. I can't wait to be with you all for baseball season and the NHL playoffs. Uh, some good stuff is coming from us. So th- I can't thank everybody enough for tuning in, especially Skylar and Travis, for being part of the conversation today and helping make this go from what I thought was going to be a 20-minute podcast to a 40-minute podcast. I didn't do as much prep, <laughs> I'll just be honest, because of the fact that yesterday so much prep went in that when the show was over, it was three hours old. And I was like, wow, we pulled off that great show. Oh, I got Crosstown tomorrow. Crap. <laughs> and, you know, not that I love or hate baseball any less than the hockey. They're pretty equal for me. But, you know, I love doing this show, too. And I can't wait for the summer. We're going to have some good stuff. So thank you all for tuning in. That's the show. And, I again, I encourage you, Mac and Reed tonight, Jalen Carter. We're going to be all over it. So, yes, Travis, you nailed it. And everybody else, thank you very much. I hope you have a very safe and fun weekend. Stick with the Barroom Network. Follow me on Twitter, Avenue Parisi. 
Thank you for listening. Another happy landing.